Hey folks, welcome to the Bay Shed Podcast. My name is Ryan Roberts. Hey, how you doing everybody? Welcome to episode 36 of the Bay Shed Podcast. Uh, on the show is Sylvia Rose Novak. Sylvia is a singer-songwriter and bassist. And um, we're going to talk about two records she has out. Uh, the 2020 record, the 2020 release, uh, Bad Luck. And then the record that was released prior to that called Someone Else's War. We're going to discuss how there's kind of a stylistic shift between the two records. And um, we're also going to talk about the direction she's headed in the record she's working on right now. Yeah, and just kind of always moving and, and growing and cultivating, you know, kind of a new artistic identity, so to speak, I guess, maybe as it relates to genre, stylistic identity. Yeah, so we're definitely going to talk about that. And what we're also going to talk about is uh, something that I know Sylvia is passionate about, which is uh, giving giving people a platform to discuss mental health um, things, issues, you know. Uh, she wants to create a platform for people to be able to anonymously just kind of share their story or even if it's not anonymous um, to so they, they don't have to live with the pressure of what maybe they might be going through um, with their current mental health situation. Uh, I don't honestly know. <laughs> I don't honestly know like the right way to talk about some of that stuff. Uh, or like the right phrases to use. Um, but that is something she's passionate about. And she shares her own story um, about that related to those things. And um, she she opened up quite a bit about it. And um, definitely definitely shared quite a bit of personal information about that stuff. And I was really honored to be a part of that conversation. And uh, I thought it was very cool that she was so willing to share that information with all of us. And so uh, we are definitely going to hear uh, from her about all that stuff, the music and, and always the person behind the music. All right, this is the part of the intro where I talk about D. Lakin basses. Uh, D. Lakin, Dan Lakin, right? He started Lakeland Basses, right? Co Co-founder of Lakeland Basses. Uh, he did that for quite a while. Uh, I play a Lakeland. I kind of forgot how we met specifically. Um... But but moving forward, I mean, I remember the first time I talked on the phone with him. We were we were on the phone for like close to two hours, just talking about all kinds of things and bass construction. And um, he was asking me what I liked about not only this Lakeland but other basses I play. And I asked him, and I got to I got to vent a little bit about the Lakeland things I don't like about the Lakeland. And uh, he was hilarious. He's like, Yeah, man, I never liked that either. Uh, I thought that was funny. Um, but we became pretty good friends, and he's uh, him and I have co-designed a bass that is uh, in production. It's a five-string fretless with a uh, Music Man-style pickup, uh, Bartolini pickup, Bartolini preamp, ebony fingerboard. Uh, it is 35-inch scale. I had me and Dan were kind of going back about 34, 35. Uh, I got in touch with um, my friend Steve Melhouse, who definitely knows a bunch of stuff about bass construction, and he's having the folks over at Federa build him a bass right now. Um, and, and I was talking to him about a lot of those things as well, because I know Steve Steve knows a lot, not a lot about it. And so does Dan. And, um, yeah, and I, I was really happy to approach Dan Lakin with some ideas I had for this bass, and he was um, he's going to put it into put it into work he's gonna he's gonna make it happen it is the inspired by ryan roberts bass 
uh, that should be coming out shortly. I can't wait to share more about that, and I can't wait to get it, honestly. I can't wait to play the damn thing. Um, yeah, D. Lakin Bases. Check out what else he's up to. Uh, him and I check in pretty regularly, uh, and he's always he's always got some new some new info <laughs> to tell me about what's going on. And a lot of it is up at on his website, dlakeandbases.com, so definitely stop by and check that out. Uh, if you're interested in anything that he's got going on there, shoot him an email. Tell him that you are a friend of Ryan Roberts and the Base Shed Podcast, and uh, he is always happy to talk to everyone about uh, bases, base constructions, and uh, what you might want for your own personal base and, uh, you know, get you build you a custom base. So that is D. Lakin Bases. All right, getting back to the episode, Sylvia Rose Novak. Uh, it was a fantastic time. It was a fantastic time, and it's... Um, I had taken a break, you know, from, from releasing podcast episodes during kind of when the pandemic started and quarantine started. Uh, one, I was in my own funk about it all. Uh, you man, I mean, I, every the pandemic, I think, has hit everybody in a very personal way. And um, and I know for myself and a lot of other musicians um, that I'm friends with and close with in Los Angeles that, um, yeah, we were all just like, ah, oh, now what? Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a part of it that's still like that. And so I, I had taken a break from from the podcast uh, because I don't I don't think I was in the headspace to really, really talk about music and talk about being a musician and talk about the bass and all this stuff. Uh, because I was just I was depressed. I was just depressed about it all. And uh, <laughs> I didn't I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't touch my bass for, you know, probably a couple months. Um yeah, I was just I was in kind of a dark spot about it all, and that definitely uh, spilled over onto my relationship with the bass for a little while, and it it spilled over into my relationship with this podcast and uh, interacting with musicians. And so, uh, Sylvia is obviously been part of the the first batch uh, that I've recorded since uh, since kind of coming back, you know, after I've kind of calmed down about some things related to the pandemic and you know, willing to <laughs> to fire up the podcast again. And it was a great time, and I couldn't not have asked for a better, um, kind of more appropriate podcast. Uh, it's so much in relation to what I was dealing with with the pandemic, which I don't, I don't really talk about too much on this episode in the conversation with her, but it, it did send me into a place of... Uh, being dark and depressed and stuff um and we we spent a lot of time talking about mental health and i thought that that was very very poignant giving um being that that was a big reason of why i had stopped doing the podcast for a minute it was on some mental health stuff um i wasn't i wasn't in a headspace to do it and um with that with that my fantastic time with sylvia rose novak sylvia how you doing I'm good. Um, okay. I mean, it's been a weird year, but I feel like all in all, I'm fine. Such a weird, such a weird year. Now, you you came out with a record this year. Like, how did, well, you came out with a record in May, or that's when the record got uploaded to Spotify? Oh, it released in May. Um, okay. Yeah. That's a, it's a rough year to release a record. It's fine. I mean, the press was pretty then we just decided to make my fifth record. You know, I didn't, I thought it was a cool opportunity to keep expanding on like the sound we were moving toward. Um, and I guess really I'm not terribly disheartened. Uh, 
so Bad Luck is the fifth record. The fourth record. We're working on okay, that. Yeah, we're working okay. on that. Okay, cool. Yeah, I listened to two. I listened to Bad Luck and Someone Else's War. I had two more, but I pulled them from streaming because they were more indicative of the country thing I started trying to do when I first wrote my songs, and I decided I wasn't having fun with it. I, I didn't like doing it. I didn't like letting other people play bass for me because I've been playing bass since I was 12, so we just you know, pulled them from streaming and decided to let the third record let be... Let you know, end up being people's first impression of me. Okay, that one, that, that, so the third record is Someone Else's War. Yeah. Okay, okay. So now that one, that one has like a uh, really strong Americana folk feel, whereas Bad Luck, it kind of goes more in either direction. It goes more country, I felt like, and then it definitely goes more rock. So right. like, the, the, <laughs> that first record kind of being an Americana thing, like, that's a little bit down the middle to where, the next record is going to go, which goes to either end of the spectrum. Was that was that a purpose thing, or like what was the inspiration behind wanting to develop each of those sounds almost kind of separately? Um, it was really fan service. Um, this okay. fifth, the fifth album that we're cutting right now was really definitely straight. It's rock and roll. I mean, like in every sense of the definition, really. Okay. Inspired by early 2000s, like, uh, pop punk and emo and, like, that kind of Foo Fighters-ish and Jimmy World. My four And I knew that that was going to happen. I knew I was going there. So for my fourth record, I wanted to give the people who really loved the country stuff a couple of tracks they could hold on to. And then I wanted to kind yeah. of announce where I was going. Like, this is happening. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Right, because there's, uh, yeah, there's definitely, like, the majority of bad luck i feel like is rock but there's maybe like four 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 tunes that are like definitely country um but it, it's definitely rock forward i felt like uh which is cool which is cool and i and i liked i liked listening to them back to back because they're they were uh, coming from different places so it wasn't the same sound on both of them like on on that first record someone else's war um i think it's the second tune that just like straight up took me back to Tom Petty. Yeah. Uh, and it reminded me of Last Dance with Mary Jane. And then I started to think I got a little heady. I'm like, ah, is that because the tune before it's called Wildflowers? Like, was was, was Tom Petty already planted in my mind? Uh, you're actually onto it because <laughs> it's, you're not wrong. Like, the tune Wildflowers uh, was named after the Tom Petty song because it's like a kind of a love song. And the song. Sure that my husband and I, our first dance was Wildflowers, so... Okay, but then later on on that record, I felt like Bombs and Blossoms, like, definitely the melody was very reminiscent of Joni Mitchell. Has she been an influence? Uh... Um, subconsciously. My mom yeah. listened to a ton of Joan Baez, Joni Mitchell, uh, Okay. a lot of that stuff. Is that Was that the majority of the stuff in the house growing up? Yeah, I... Uh, listened, grew up listening to a ton of like Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen. Nice. Uh, I love Leonard Cohen still. Sure, sure. Uh, my dad's stuff was kind of more on the country end of that spectrum, uh, like okay. Marty, Rob Marty Robbins and Willie Nelson, but still very like lyric forward. Yeah. So what what came first, singing or, or playing the bass? Oh, playing the bass definitely. I uh, oh really? 
never thought, I mean, like I sang in like school choirs and productions and stuff, but I never thought of myself as a vocalist ever. Um, okay. I only started singing when I started writing because I had to. Okay. Okay. <laughs> just to get the ideas out? Um, just because I didn't think anybody could sing my words better than me. And, oh, sure. And Agreed. Selling, and selling a song is really hard. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I don't do it, but it seems like <laughs> it seems like that's its own. I mean, that's definitely its own art form. It's like really connecting a song with an audience and selling the tune, and and even writing the tune. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot there that I don't I don't deal with. <laughs> uh, but out of respect, like I have a lot of respect for people that are, are you know playing and singing, like they have all that to think about. When you're playing, do you think about either, or is it just one thing that happens? It just, it's very automatic, and I think it's because I've been playing the bass for so long that yeah. I don't have an issue. It's kind of, people have told me before that it's really confusing, because you'll walk in and you'll hear like a counter-melodic bass line, and you'll hear a singer, and then you'll notice that those noises are coming from the same <laughs> Right. And I just have never... <laughs> I've never thought about it. Um, it's never been hard for me to do those things. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. That's. Uh, uh, how does when writing does does is it melody first and then a baseline will come after that or does it start sometimes with a baseline then you complement the baseline with you know you fill in the gaps with the melody. Or what's kind of your writing process as both a bass player and a singer? Yeah, my brain's really production-minded. Like, I hear the whole picture. Um, okay. When we, when we build the record, it's like, you know, what are the drums going to do? And then it's like, okay, what is the guitar going to do? And then where do I fit in with that? Do I need to sit with the kick? Do I need to sit with the snare? Where can, do I have room to move around so that it's not obnoxious? Like what really needs to be happening to support the song, which has been kind of tough because as a bass player and like a, a trained bassist with like a lot of jazz theory, it is natural for me to want to just never let my left hand sit still. <laughs> right. And there's, been, right. there's been so much of me just making myself play a root note. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just letting that be okay. And you're releasing to, uh, you know, one note fills enough space if it's placed properly. Right. It's been an ego. It's like I had to, like, kill my bass ego and come out the other side of it for the... <laughs> and that... It's tough. It's tougher than people think. And, like, one of the biggest challenges I faced moving into this rock forward stuff was I don't play with a pick. I've never played with a pick. So my right hand, I have to do like the Jamerson thing, just one finger if I want to just <laughs> their 16th notes and having to learn to be able to do that without my left hand moving, like you would think that you were asking me to like replicate like Pino Palladino's bass lines, but I'm just standing there playing like one and two and three and four and and trying to do it right. And it's tough. Uh, so you started, you started playing bass at 12 years old? Yes. Yeah, cool. What was it that got you? Was it something you heard? Was it uh, you're you know needed to fill a gap in like you know a neighborhood band mm. or, or something like that? What was it that got you into the bass? I heard uh, sleeping over at one of my friends' houses, and her brother was a few years older than us, and was 
like really big into Guns N' Roses. Okay. I heard Sweet Child of Mine for the first time, and when the bass, when the, the solo bass, intro part, yeah, yeah, right. I, I was kind of like, you know, twelve years old and going, I like what is like what is that like? I didn't know basses could do that. So what was the first bass? You hear Guns N' Roses, you got to play. You go, you go. What to the music store? To a, a like a CD and novelty store for a ninety-nine dollar red silver tone. Or did that come with an amp or something? Did it come with like a little one ten practice amp? Yeah, it's something horrible. If you plugged <laughs> anything into it, like any pedal into it, it would start picking up radio signals. Oh yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> I know all about it. I think my first, my whole first rig was from a pawn shop, like a PV Fury P bass, and then like this Gorilla amp that you had to slap on the side, and then it would get the radio, and then you had to slap it again to work as a bass amp. Yep. Uh, yeah, I had the pawn shop rig for sure. <laughs> but it's kind of funny now, like thinking back on that, uh, you know, like those early days, and like that's what it was. <laughs> that's uh, that was the struggle. Is like, ah, is my bass amp gonna work? I yeah, I didn't know that uh, amps didn't all pick up like foreign radio stations. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> right, right. All of a sudden, you're getting like Vietnamese chatter. Yeah. It's a military line. This is just what amps do. <laughs> yeah. So then you get into we um, pretty much self-taught at that point. Were you learning tunes off records? Were you taking lessons at a music store or family took, friend or something? I took lessons at a music store. Um, my parents were very much like, if you want to do something, you're going to do it correctly. Like you're going to learn sure. how to do it. And um, I took like basically theory and jazz lessons and was playing uh, bass in my middle school jazz band. That was pretty informative but at the time i didn't appreciate how much i was actually learning i just wanted to like mimic like pink floyd stuff <laughs> right, right. And, and nirvana and pearl jam and play with my friends but uh looking back i am really glad that the the, the content like it was a contingent thing it was like if you don't play bass lessons you can't play that if you don't take bass lessons you can't play bass Sure. So it was just something I did to be able to play bass. And now, you know, looking back, I'm like, wow, my parents were really smart. Yeah. Um, so within those lessons, was it obviously theory, technique, where you're learning how to read and do, like, you're, you're playing in middle school band, so I'm sure you had to learn how to read to an extent to get through those charts. Yeah, I stayed on it in high school, too. I actually ended up playing trombone as well, so I read... I read bass clef for bass and trombone, and um, I also learned to read like charts and you know read out of the real book. Yeah, those are all good things. I remember early on in like high school, I had a teacher who was suggesting I learn how to read treble clef, and like if I wanted to learn stuff out of the real real book, like learn how to read treble and just buy the treble real book and learn all the melodies. Like, just do it, dude. Just like put in the work. I'm like, all right. Uh, that, that that was a great thing. Those are great skills to have learned and do all that stuff back then. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so then, moving forward, you're playing. You're playing in uh, the high school jazz band. When at what point do you start to realize, like, okay, I got to take some ownership of this and start doing some writing? I didn't start writing until I was 23. I just kind of played 
I don't know. It was like one day I woke up and I was like, I can make words rhyme. I can make words rhyme. <laughs> like, why am I not yeah. doing this? Sure. Okay. So then you, you start writing and like, this is, that's when you start singing. Then that's when you realize you're going to confront singing and playing. Did you take vocal lessons as well? No, um, I did not. I, um, asked, you know, and I hate saying this out loud because it sounds like braggy and it's so dumb, but I'm actually technically have perfect pitch. Okay. Okay. That actually, when I was listening to the records, it sounded to me like there was just a classical training. And that's what I was going to ask you about is if you had had a classical, but the perfect pitch thing makes sense. That kind yeah. of answers that suspicion. I have never uh, had okay. a vocal lesson a day in my life. Uh, nice. <laughs> Great. <laughs> That's amazing. But now, is is perfect pitch just kind of a, a pain sometimes, too, if you just hear a bunch of random sounds in day-to-day life? Like, is it's it... Such a bummer. Yeah. I thought that I was on the spectrum for a while because I was having these weird really? reactions, and then it turned out that it was just the pitch thing. Interesting. Yeah. That fascinates me. It's like, I understand that you can hear these tones perfectly, but at what point in the mind does it work out to where, like, you automatically know that that's a D flat, like, without anybody telling you? It's like looking at a color and automatically knowing it's red without anybody telling you that's what we call red. I can do it with key as well. Like, I can hear a song and know what key it's in, but part of okay. me wants to think that that's just because of the amount of training that I've had. Yeah, I mean, maybe both. I mean, if you have perfect pitch, all you got to do is hear the one chord, then you got it. Like, yeah, <laughs> and, and that's kind of what it is, and it's it's a little bit tough for me to, to differentiate, like, what is the fact that I have so much schooling and what is just innate ability. Sure, sure. I don't really care either way. I'm just glad I can do it. Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, really, all that matters is what comes out. But 23, you start writing songs, you're getting into singing. The very first song you wrote, did that did that get recorded? Did that see the light of day? Or is that, does yeah. that just kind of live in the past? Well, I'm uh, kind of an all or nothing person. So I started writing and then I released my first album the very next year. Oh, uh, wow. So it did have... It did have, so I released my first album in 2014, and it had okay. my first song on it, um, and that song was called Burn It Down, and it was like a really, it was a very, it was something you'd definitely write in your early 20s. It was not something I oh, just do it, Just like a little bit of teenage angst, figuring out yeah, who yeah. you are in the world that situation. Yep. Yeah. So what was the name of that first record? It was called Chasing Ghosts. Okay. Was that a title of a song or was this kind of a a theme you were that all the all the songs fit the same narrative and it was something you're working out in your life? Kind of. It was initially I wrote a song where one of the lines was no one wants the kind of lover who chases ghosts. It was kind of a tongue in cheek song directed at a friend of mine who kept getting divorces. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but that didn't it didn't make well, the Oh, at 23? At 23, yeah. they kept kept getting divorces? Like, how oh, many she, times is this friend divorced at 23? She was, like, she was 10 years older than me, but okay. still, like, a lot. 
Yeah, like, at 33, to have more than one marriage under the belt, that's... All right. Yeah. No judgment, whatever. Uh, but, huh, that's not typical. No, but it's okay. I don't... All right. <laughs> Everybody's got their thing. Is she, is, she, is she in, like, some kind of happy situation? Is she okay? Or is she still uh, going through all these divorces? I don't know. I, it's so complicated. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just curious. Um... All right, so that record comes out. Then how long till the next record? Two years. I released the next one in 2016. Yeah. Okay. And these were these were more country. Like I hadn't I haven't heard those ones. Yeah, they were a lot more country. Like okay. they're more like classic country though, like 70s kind of like Graham Parsons ish country, and not like pop country. Okay. Did you ever get into the pop country thing? Like the whole nine, you know, all that stuff that was going on in the 90s with Garth and Clint Black and. I, Alan Jackson, like I loved that stuff. I loved it. I played fiddle, uh, actually, oh. with those, with a bunch of those kind of like guys that were doing that sort of thing, like yeah. in in the music world and touring around the southeast and Texas and. Um, but I never got into that sort of writing myself. Where are you from? I don't even know where you're from. Where are you from? I'm from Alabama. Okay. Where are you at right now? Do you live in Alabama right now? I I do. All right. Like I heard the twang, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't actually know where you were at. <laughs> I, I always say that I'm from Alabama, and I want to put like an asterisk by it. Like I don't think what you think I think. <laughs> oh right, right, right. You want to you want to preface it with like, hey, like, I'm not I'm not that kind of Alabama. Yeah, it's not right. like I am not like you know. You tell people that, and they like look at you like, uh oh, and it's like, no, 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 no. Right. I'm good. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> I've never been there. I've never been there. It's pretty, but other than that, um, I mean, it's pretty. Yeah. All right. Um, all right, so that's all That's all influential. Uh, we were talking about your second record. Uh, what was the name of that record? It was called The Last Three Years. Super creative, right? Like, I wrote my first song three years before that record came out, and I was like, what should I call this? Yeah. That's all right. All right. So, uh, so was it a recap of of your life in between records? Kind of. Okay. Um, it was not. I was not particularly proud of it. Um, I just I wrote some songs and it turned out the way it did. And yeah, like that's it's kind of a thing, right? I think whenever anybody records music, and I know I've talked about it on the podcast before, it's just kind of like a Polaroid picture, like that. Eh. This is, this is where I'm at right now. This is this is what it's going to be. Uh, and good for you for just doing it and getting it out. I, myself included. I know a lot of people, and I do this myself. Like, I just get stuck in the mindset of like, ah, not yet, or I got to do this, or I got to do that. And it just, you know, next thing I know, I haven't done it. Uh, just that perfectionist mindset, which is debilitating. Uh, so good for you for just doing it. And like, there, eh, it's out there. Oh, yeah, I just, I pick it apart after it comes out, you know, like, I do the best <laughs> with it at the time, and then I spend months just <laughs> ripping these things apart, but I think that's natural. What, um, so then are you, where are you performing? So you got two records out, are you doing things around Alabama, are you doing, like, little kind of regional touring? Um, after what's the, the, what's the performance schedule with these? Yeah, after the second album, we were doing some regional stuff, um, some cool opening slots for, like, nationally touring acts, 
the third album came out again two years later in 2018. So we just kind of built on that still like bigger regional venues and better opening slots for more widely known right. national acts. Cool. What kind of what kind of acts would you open for? Was it more kind of the old country acts? Was it some Americana acts? Like what what acts were you putting yourself? Were you packaging yourself with? So it was mostly, I mean, I had like a stint last year where I just straight up opened for like Bloodshot uh, Records right. artists. Like I opened for Sarah Shook and Vandaliers and Jason Hawk Harris, <laughs> like all in the same like eight month span. Oh, cool. But, um, you know, before that, it was like opening for American Aquarium. So it's kind of that crossover, kind of like country rock. And that really was a good fit. And then, uh, but before that, like with the second record, like the first and second record, I opened for like Chris Knight, which, you know, was definitely a, a country act, but wouldn't really work now. So there's just been like, with the progression of the sound and the progression of, and like my growth as an artist, there's also been definitely a shift in who I've been supporting, which is good. Yeah. And now what do fans of, older records because your sound sound has shifted between these two records that i mentioned earlier and now you're going in like more of this rock direction well how, what's the reaction of the fans are are you gaining just new rock forward fans or some of your old americana country people along for the journey with you also some of it yeah like i'm i'm a lot of people really love the new direction and okay. even people who discovered me on my first album are like i really this seems like a natural path for you i really like this but then of course you know i'm getting some people who are coming in now who didn't kind of pedal steel ford stuff and also i've got those people who are you know you always have those people who are like i liked you better before and i'm like well you know i grew up i feel like people are always gonna have an affinity for liking an artist how they met the artist like if they, if they met a, an artist doing a specific sound that's just what it is to them. And then if the artist goes on into like a new sound or something, it's like, no, that's not who you are to me because you're, you know, it, it, maybe sometimes the listener puts the artist in a box. Yes, definitely. But they do mean, it with... at, least they're, at least they're enjoying the music on some level. I mean, I don't want to talk too much crap about the, the patrons. Oh, no, it's, it's true, though. And they, I mean, like people have a really bad habit of doing it, like with artists, like personal lives and personalities, too. You know, like drawing inferences from snapshots that they see of like this person on stage or this person on social media. And okay. then when they learn more about the person, they're like incensed that this person doesn't fit into the narrative they've created about them. Right. right. So you have to wonder, like, is it ever about the artist and the art and the music? Or is it just like kind of a reflection of the person and all this projection that they're putting out there? You know, like, was it ever really about the artist? No, it's about how the artist makes the listener feel. I think so. Yeah. Definitely. Well, and and in like a hypothetical situation, if there's, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, like, okay, Bon Jovi has great hair, right? Like everybody knows <laughs> Bon Jovi has great hair. Like, oh man, I really want Bon Jovi hair. So I'm going to be a Bon Jovi fan. And then like Bon Jovi shaves his head, you know, <laughs> like yeah. nothing to do with him. It's like who I want to be because there's a quality there that I want to be. So it's really, it was never about Bon Jovi, like ever. It's just like, ah, I want Bon Jovi hair for myself. This is all about me. Yes. Which is, 
interesting topic, right? All the psychology of the, of the artist slash patron, that relationship, like the psychology there is interesting. Yeah, I've spent a, a lot of mental energy kind of deep diving into that when I'm oh, you know, really? sitting staring off into space. Um, <laughs> what what little nuggets have you uh, have you uncovered along the way? Oh, I mean, it's you know, people form their own relationships to like the lyrical content of songs. Like you know, you make they make it mean what they want it to mean to them, and sure. through that attachment, like these people are are you know tethering themselves to this person, to the artist, to me, to you, to whoever playing this thing, singing this thing that doesn't actually mean what they want it to mean. Right. And they assume this closeness because they've created this, like, like the endorphins in their brain are like, this person makes me feel good. Sure. And, you know, it just, and with social media, it's like bred this level of familiarity that can sometimes make the artist uncomfortable, right? Yeah, I mean, so, uh, social media in general makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, I, I don't know, I, maybe it's 38, and maybe it's like the generation in which I understood the world kind of before the internet and cell phones, and then like that whole thing just rocketed so fast, and social media is already a thing, and like, by the time it hit, I felt like I was already too old for it, uh, and I, I just can't, some people are great at it, some people, are, and I understand it can be a great tool for artists and musicians and all that stuff, I just, I suck at it, and Sometimes I'm okay that I suck at it, and then sometimes, like, I don't know. I can't wrap my head around social media, so. Then I watch these documentaries. Have you seen the documentary called Social Dilemma? No, I want to watch it. I, like, I, oh. earlier this year, I got rid of, like, Facebook except for my artist page, and this has been my year to be really lazy online. And <laughs> I have a lot, I mean, and I hate to say it, but, like, I don't have any tours to, so, like, there's nothing going on. I mean, I remember the first, I mean, most of my friends on social media sites are all other musicians that I know. And it's, you know, like, all right, see what's going on here. And then nobody's doing anything to the point of like, why, why put it out there? Like, we are literally all stuck at home. Like, you can't do anything. There's nothing you can show me that I'm interested in at all. <laughs> like, but I'm, that being said, I was still there looking through it. So I don't know. All right. It's, it's uh, currently with me it's like do you want to snap do you want to hear like a 10 second clip of like us like working on my next record or do you want to see a picture of my horse like this is it <laughs> right. there's not a lot going on there like we're all doing the same thing just confused about what's going on in the world and you know watching tv yep and i'm practicing it's been good for that it's been good for practicing yeah that's i this year, uh, so I know, uh, I don't know if I would have come up with this on any other year, but working on this record, like, I woke up one morning from, like, a fever dream at 5 a.m. Okay. Um, because I'm so bored that my brain is going to really weird places. Sure. And I, I've i never liked five-string basses. Okay. Like, I just don't like that kind of, like, plank feeling under my hand. Sure. And, but I love the option for having a lower string. Yeah. So I decided to do the thing where, you know, I slapped a reverse neck on a loaded jazz body and strung it uh, 65 to 130 and tuned it low to high B flat to oh, D flat. flat. Yeah. Gee. 
B flat to D flat. <laughs> so you went from not liking you like <laughs> this is hilarious. You went from not liking the five string uh, to like let's go even lower than the five string. But only but on a four string neck with so it's like a four it's like a five no, sure. string B. Yeah, your B through D, right? Yeah, it's just no there's no G. We just we Frankenstein to this thing together. Oh, that's cool. And it plays wonderfully. Like it's the coolest thing I've ever owned. And um, did you have to recut the nut to fit the B string? Yeah, I had a I had some guys at a music shop in Birmingham do it. Um, okay. It was basically we uh, finished the. It's like an all parts left handed neck, and um, I have a left handed buddy who sent me some tuners for it. Slapped it on a loaded body. And then took that, just the neck and the the finished neck and the body, to a music store and like handed it across the counter to these guys. And I was like, "Hey, <laughs> yeah, here's what you're gonna do to this." And they looked at me, and I was like, "And you're gonna put like a Floyd Rose string retainer on it, all four strings." And they like oh, blink, they like blinked at me, and I was like, "I promise, just do it." What's, what's the pickup configuration? It was jazz. It's jazz, yeah. Okay, all right. And is it string through the body? Mm-mm. It's it's a uh, just a top mounted bridge. All right. The reverse the B like Fender. Yeah. Fender went through a period where like their B strings suck. Like I I I have a four and I have a five and I remember there's I can't remember maybe it was early two thousands or maybe that's when they got it fixed. But like their B strings just suck. Like the Fender five sucks. And there's probably someone who's gonna listen who owns a Fender five. <laughs> be like, dude, you're an idiot. Like I love my bass. Yeah. It's cool if you loved it. I think it sucks. Like, yeah, there was just not enough tension on the beam. Fender did work it out though. This is why we actually why I did the uh, reverse neck was so that it would be a little bit slinkier, the action a little bit lower because it's a it's also a jazz neck. Oh, okay. So it okay. worked out. It yeah, Those it, are super narrow. It feels really good. You, you, nobody believes me. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. The, the, but, that's the main base. the The Frankenstein is the main. Yeah, cleverly named Frank. That's the main bass on this record right now. <laughs> nice. Uh, I, what song was it? Uh, the song Dry has bass distortion. Yeah, a little bit. Um, um, now, which I that, think is ironic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the song, that's the song you use effects on. It's called Dry. Yep. Um, what, uh, is, that, is that something you're looking to get into with the next record? Is more effects or like use a distortion pedal or some, um, different, um, some different textures? Yeah, we're going to grit it up a little bit. We're, we're working on, we're uh, actually, I'm recording through like an old Ampeg B15. Okay. And it's got a lot of natural kind of dirt to it. I mean, sure. it's like a filthy amp. Like it, everything about it is gross because it's from the 70s. Um, <laughs> but, so it, it kind of naturally lends itself to that. Um, but a lot of the sound on dry was me just digging in. It was a, one of those night, uh, uh, God, uh, not 19 something. It was 2017, uh, Fender P specials with the noiseless okay. pickups. Yeah. And it's just that, uh, the E string is tuned up to an F so I can drone it. Okay. So that's a lot of the, part of what you're hearing is that droning. Yeah. Um, but I liked the sound and, I bought a, I don't know, I bought a bass wah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you always say it like it's some kind of support group. Like, hi, my name's Sylvia Rose. I bought a bass wah. Like, hi, Sylvia. 
I mean, it was just one of those weird, again, like 2020, I was bored and was like, huh. Sure. <laughs> I wonder what this will do. I mean, I knew what it would do, but it's like, I wonder yeah. if I can use this on my record. And I think we will at some point. Um, the baseball, the baseball is going to be there? At some point, yeah, I'll figure out something to do with it. Nice. But yeah, we're, we're putting a little bit more uh, dirt and drive and gain on this record. And who knows, a bass wah, maybe. All right. What is there going to be any specialty instrumentation or programming? Or, um, I mean, you referenced like early 2000s. There's some programming stuff going on, some of that music. Um, I mean, depending on how hard of rock. I mean, that's kind of when Evanescence was around, stuff like that. Yeah. Really produced really produced sound are you going that far are you still keeping it kind of gritty and retro with this old gear and kind of just a raw rock thing i mean it's kind of like our engineer is great he is super talented so like a lot of the parts are super produced like we've got a lot of cool like guitar panning and like oh, cool. we're gonna do like some really cool vocal stuff also and then we're keeping it like pretty organic um, and only using our instruments. Okay. So it's kind of a crossover, like the parts and the, like, there's a lot of sonic clarity and a lot of sonic texture. Okay. But not, not electronic texture. No, but like not electronic. Also from instruments. What were some, some groups that really influenced that? And do you change your writing style to fit this other kind of genre vocabulary? Um, yeah, actually. Well, I worked mostly on kind of saying what I needed to say with fewer words. Okay. Um, and like allowing in the choruses to either be, I, you know, the Americana thing is kind of like the verses and the choruses all have a lot of words. They both say a lot. Like there's never this kind of drop back to like a simple vocal rhythm and like you you kind of say what you need to say and then this other part is the big wordy right you have to pay attention to it part so i definitely picked and chose on this like is the chorus going to be two lines repeated over and over again sure. or are the verses going to be like four words a piece you know yeah i mean yeah it's just kind of getting out of that story song mentality which I feel, I mean, is so indicative of the Americana folk country thing. You know, all that stuff from the 70s. Yeah. Another thing I noticed, uh, I kind of, I think probably more so on Bad Luck, um, there's a lot of geography references, not only on song titles, but just in the tunes. Is that is location a big inspiration for you in writing? Yeah. Or just in your personal life like different locations impact you in a specific way that just happens to come out in music it's not necessarily a direct i mean i guess that is a direct relationship if you think about it artistically <clears throat> but I, uh, I don't know i i think i i seen set like i feel like everybody can like places are tangible things and sure. they help with my imagery brain mm -hmm. and i latch on more to like stories and places than abstract thought or feeling um okay you know i've never been a very good feeler of feelings i'm actually in therapy for that uh, <laughs> okay <laughs> but um that's not necessarily my go-to thing as a 
as a person. Like, I kind of react. Uh, I mean, if I look at the course of the idea of processing emotions, when I was younger, it would be just react. And then as I grew up, it's like, okay, <laughs> understand, process, and respond. That's a lot healthier. But it all came from, like, emotion first. So I don't really... I've never, I've never been on that side of the coin. I'm, I'm coming at it from the opposite way. Uh, so how does that, how does that work for you as an artist? Like accessing emotion, if it's, um, it's something you're working on in your personal life, or do you feel like this is going to be a more emotional record because you're processing how to get in and out of that within yourself in a new way? I think that really what it is is a lot of my songs are more emotive. Um, and more like personal than I've ever really admitted or thought about when writing them because as I've learned when you don't feel your feelings they don't just like go away magically they get shoved down somewhere and come out somehow and that's you know my my emotion my feelings kind of like work themselves into my songs or did kind of work themselves into my songs and I think that now I'm aware I'm more aware of it. Like I know where it's coming from, even if not immediately. Um, And I think that that's going to maybe not necessarily change the like content or hasn't really changed the content or like the lyrical kind of aspect or like the sonnet, you know, like all of those changes are happening independent of this kind of newfound ability to explore how I feel. But I think that the delivery, like the way that I'm able to explore the vocals are actually like really put myself into it instead of just singing the words is going to be a lot right. more noticeable. Okay. So just over your emotional commitment now to, right. to the thing. Now, have you found yourself, cause I can also trace back a time in my life where, you know, I was young, really didn't understand. I don't know. If, I don't know if you're ever young enough to not feel things. I think you do and you're just not aware of it, but obviously emotions are a sensory response to life so you you do feel them how the acknowledgement and how much weight you put on it i think that's different for everybody um but then i went i went the other way i guess is what i'm trying to get like i went from like uh not really getting it and like all right just got to be super logical guy and then like oh no i can deal with these things and i went so like the pendulum went so far the other way to where i was just like all mayhem manic emotional stuff and then I had you know learning to keep it in the center is uh, the goal uh, have you have you noticed that on your personal personal journey of uh, exploring your own emotional makeup no not no um, I don't know if it's because I grew up you know I kind of grew up in the horse world I grew up competing and riding and mm. have been on horseback since I was like eight years old and there's just this you know, you get thrown off a 1500 pound animal, unless your arm is broken, like you don't cry. Right. You don't show weakness. You get back on, you're not scared. It's okay. And I think that that's just kind of so seeped into every aspect of my life that I really have to give myself permission to feel anything. Um, that could be, you know, like sadness, anger. Hmm. So, um, and what does that, what does that feel like to you to allow yourself? It's almost like if you can, if someone were on a diet and had a cheat, a cheat day and all of a sudden yeah. they can have pizza, 
are you still like, oh, yeah, cool, but only a slice? Whereas, you know, to use the same analogy, like a super emotional guy is just going to, like, crush the whole pizza and feel sick and think about it later. Um, now, I'm... Do you feel guilty about feeling some of these things maybe for the first time or understanding them in new ways? No. Um, actually, no. I'm pretty grace... Like, I, I give myself a lot of grace in terms of, like, trying to explore like allowing myself to be sad like if i see a commercial and there's a puppy and i start to cry and there's absolutely no reason for me to be crying i'll be like it's okay like we can do this for a few minutes like you're not going to take this out into the streets and make a thing about it but this can <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't that be funny though you're just like in target like what's wrong commercial with the puppy like a half hour ago it's like it's still, it's the i'm still working this out like that puppy <laughs> really messed me up did the puppy die? No, it was really no. cute. Right, oh, no. Sarah McLaughlin commercial. Yeah, no, it's yeah, I'll let it happen, and um, it can feel really uncomfortable. And actually, to the point where it's kind of one of those things where, like, for the diet analogy, it's like you let yourself have a piece of pizza, and somebody sets the pizza down in front of you, and like suddenly you're like, I can't, I'm not going to eat that. Like that happens with my emotions. I'm like, we really? can cry, we can cry. And my brain's like, no. <laughs> and I'm really? like, but, but I'm sad. And my brain's like, mm, no. <laughs> there's still that, there's still that kind of war going on, huh? Yeah. So that's, you know, that's what I'm working through is letting, um, letting it be okay to like, you know, to not wait until I'm like so emotionally backed up that it has to come out. It's like, sure. let's, let's do this like civilly. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, I think it was on your website that there were some uh, links to mental health. Mm -hmm. uh, did, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, I uh, was out on a run, I think, earlier this year, maybe late last year, um, and started to think about the fact that so many people struggle with mental illness or anything, difficult thoughts, um, bad times in their life. And sometimes all they need is to like, just be able to, to, to dump it all somewhere, like to vent sure. to someone who's not like a family member or like a therapist, just somebody who can just read, listen and be like, do you want advice or do you just want me to tell you it's okay? Right. And, it's like kind of a, a neutral safe space, like someone with no intention uh, yeah about you know like there's gonna be no recourse so like if you were to, if you were to do that and just like tell me all this you know heavy emotional stuff well, i'm not gonna be i'm not gonna try to fix it i'm not gonna just a safe space of you know being able to dump i think i think you're right i think everybody does need places like that and people like that so there's you know it goes directly to every other contact on my website is like not me but that form is me. That's my personal inbox. And it's okay. totally anonymous. Okay. That's cool. Uh, what, um, what was the, was it just kind of a, the impetus just kind of happened on a, in a cerebral way? Like it was just a thought process that led you to this? Or have you experienced it and thought just like, wow, I do have all these feelings that I'm not really sure what to make of them. And I wish I had a place to go. And you're trying to create that for, if someone else, because you've also experienced it. Well, kind of. Um, I've I have bipolar disorder, 
And okay. I've only recently become pretty open about that because I was diagnosed young. And, you know, there's kind of, of course, the, there we always talk about like the stigma around mental health, but not like even when the stigma, like when the conversation lifts, like I'm functional, yeah. really functional for somebody with a more hypomanic bipolar. Are you like bipolar or bipolar too? I've been reading up on it a lot lately, actually, because I, I'm, I don't know. I've never been diagnosed, but I might. I might be bipolar. I'm not sure. Um, I but I've been reading a lot about it. Have been told like it was. I was diagnosed with bipolar, and then I've been told as an adult. I went. I was medicated, um, and then I was diagnosed with bipolar too. And then I mostly I don't really get depressive, um, and that's why. But I am hypomanic most of the time, like on most days. And have experienced mania to the point of like mild, like auditory visual hallucinations. Okay. Um, and have just learned kind of how to cognitively deal with it. And it's never, it's never perfect. You know, it's never perfect. Sure. Um, but, you know, and trying to navigate that. And it feels like that one in particular, like, not like bipolar is the worst, but, you know, like the conversation around like, anxiety and like depression has gotten a lot better, but there's still a lot about bipolar disorder that makes people uncomfortable. I, I think so. I think it's because people don't fully understand if you were just going to tell somebody, you know, that, <clears throat> excuse me, is maybe uh, uneducated about bipolar disorder or mental health things in general. Um, they're probably just going to associate it with the word crazy and think that you could just lose it at any second and it's just going to be this completely haphazard thing. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know if that's always the case. I mean, I think I think most artists I know, including myself, would definitely to some degree, you know, on the spectrum. Like I think so. Like, yeah. I'm, like I'm kind of going through my mind right now, not to judge any of my friends, but I'm like, yeah, like it's, it's very possible. Um, and I, and I, I, I wonder about that sometimes. And I wonder if that's just kind of, if, if science has turned the artist brain to all these different categories and given them scientific words and scientific explanations, because being around a, a bunch of creatives, which I am a lot, and I'm sure you are too, um, yeah, you know, things are firing a little differently up there. Oh, definitely. Um, but, but, you know, it's like, I don't, if I hadn't known of the term bipolar, would I be curious about it? Obviously not, because I hadn't learned of it. But, um, like, I wouldn't think that I was so drastically different from everybody whereas now i'm starting to think like ah maybe i'm bipolar which you know then i'm like and i've told some friends about this and they're like well how do you feel about that i'm like i don't, I don't I, it's nothing like i haven't changed like i haven't changed at all like nothing about me has changed if that if a doctor were to diagnose me i've never changed like the way I've always known myself, the way you've always known me, I've been like that. Now there's just a word associated with it. And everybody's like, oh, 
Like, I don't, I, I don't, I think that part of it's weird. You know, all of a sudden there's a scientific term given to it. And now you're kind of like maybe alienated by it or something like nothing's changed, you know, and like maybe this is just the artist's brain and this is just how we're wired and it's that simple. And science came in and. Uh, I don't I don't know. I do. Things. I don't know about that. And, I, you know, I, I do. Definitely, sure I, am. I do definitely have some behaviors um, that are kind of typical of like hypomanic manic type bipolar disorder and. Um, like down to like dissociative episodes. And when I finally like come, like come, not like come clean or like when I'd like tell people like, Hey, sorry for acting like, cause you know, I can say it about myself and laugh. Hey, sorry for being a lunatic. Right. This, this, this is what's going on. I have this chemical imbalance in my brain and sometimes it makes me act uh, a certain way say certain things, do certain things. I'm sorry if it was off-putting or like I like talked over a conversation or like, I don't know, like did something kind of socially unacceptable. Sorry if I did something socially unacceptable. Here's what, here's what's going on. And I've been working on it my whole life. And like, I just wanted to let you know, like some, a lot of the time, instead of being like, oh, you know, like, well, that makes sense. People are like, oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Like, Right, okay. They're a little <laughs> bit more understanding. Yeah. Like, oh, oh it's, I thought you were just being, you, you know, Do you think that there's a relationship between not being comfortable with your emotions? I, I was trying to remember the exact phrase you used. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's what it, what it was. But um, not being super emotional or comfortable with your music. Uh, emotions and that maybe at a formative age that was you trying to control something you already recognized within yourself was that a way of trying to deal with the the, the manic thing i like, think if i if i can squash yeah. this then i won't be manic and then you know then i won't be weird i won't get in trouble or whatever it would be in really formative years of life as a, a little kid or if I hide these feelings and behaviors, nobody's going to drag me back to a psychologist, mm. to a psychiatrist. I'm not going to have to go on medication again if I can just act normal. Was that a part of childhood? Like, were you in and out of seeing doctors and specialists and things? Yeah, most of my uh, teenage years. Oh, wow. I got, I think, maybe lucky. Um, I, was, I was in a really bad spot. Um, before I, I went on like one course of medication and that was, I was good with cognitive therapy after that, but my mom's family has a history of bipolar disorder. So she recognized it in me, like okay. she caught it. And, um, I think I'm super glad for it. Yeah. Then is it something your mom is dealing with regularly for herself as well? Yes. Yeah. She, okay. yeah. <laughs> so it was pretty easy for her to go, oh, okay, well. Sure. Sure. I mean, and then, but has it, I mean, I guess you would never know because you've never known the other side of it, but it seems like it, it could have been helpful to be like, you know, the fact your mom had it and you can, you know, like, all right, here's another woman who's dealing with it as an adult. It's possible. I can get through this. You know, it was. Was that knowing your mom is con- is working on it too, like kind of hopeful at some point? 
Oh, for most of my life, I think my mom has like got like nine PhDs just for fun, like college professor. Oh like she's so smart and so capable and so functional, okay. like multilingual, like travels and just. Yeah, like that was what to me, that was to me just like bipolar disorder was like what is like something that people have, but it doesn't have to ruin their life. And I think that, that yeah, was that's amazing. What, what she wanted me to know, like, definitely, yeah. like, look at me, I deal with this too. And like, I'm fine. Sometimes I get really sad. And sometimes I get a little bit nutty in particular, but all in all, like, it's okay. And then I guess as I got older, I learned that most people don't have like, those are their role models, and it kind of can go hard in another sure. direction. Sure. It's pretty much genetic. Correct. Mm -hmm. Can it skip generations? Is I don't. That, is that common? I don't know. Um, hmm. I actually don't know because my mom's uncle had two uncles with it. Okay. Um, so it didn't in our family. Right. But I your mom know. had two uncles, or two of your uncles? No, my mom had two uncles who have okay. had bipolar disorder. Interesting. On her father's side, so two of my uh, maternal grandmother's brothers. Okay. And so your mom, it sounds like your mom's an academic. Yes. Uh, other, other people within the history, your family tree, with bipolar, who were artists or creatives, um, whether professional or not, but like that was, a, that was a thing. That's kind of who they were, regardless of what they did for an occupation. No. Okay. No, uh, Irish Catholic immigrants. <laughs> who oh, just wow. Worked. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. yeah. What, uh, when's the next record slated? When are you looking to release that one? Next year, um, hopefully, well, I mean, like, everything's kind of up in the sure. air. It'll yeah. either be, like, a late spring record, kind of like Bad Luck was this year, or it'll be an early fall record. Okay. Is there a better time? Like, you kind of, are you strategic with your release dates? Yes. Or is it just, like, when the record gets out? Well, I cheat. I have a publicist. <laughs> and my publicist. No, that's not cheating at all. Give that to somebody else. Man. Exactly. That's, and I learned that on, um, you know, my, I didn't put press on my first two albums. And then I worked with a PR firm on my third one. I didn't like that firm. I shopped for another one. Loved the one on my last release. And if I like, if I had to tell anybody anything, especially kind of the DIY indie stuff, it, you don't have to have a label to have a publicist and sure. get one. Right. Because <laughs> um, they make better decisions than you do. Like, that's the thing is I don't make good choices. I make the record. Yeah. And I, My, I think that's how it should be. I think, uh, I think too much is expected of the musician these days. <laughs> Uh, to wear all the hats, and you can't. Mm -mm. And also, I, I think it kind of, uh, I can't think of the word I mean, but there's not as much impact. If you're just the artist, then just be the artist and give that your 100%, and let, let somebody else give everything else 100%. And that's just going to build a stronger, a stronger team for the, for the whole thing. Right. I, I think... Uh, it gets weakened when, when the artist has to do so much, and I and I understand it. It's it's expensive, and it can, you know, 
paying all these people to do all the things like that adds up quick. Making a record isn't cheap. Like having people do press for the record isn't cheap. Sometimes buying a paying a photographer isn't cheap. Like none of it's cheap. Uh, but if you can make it happen and build the team, that's that's ultimately the best because really, you know, everybody who's ever really done it had a team. Well, you have to. It's uh, like I don't you know, giving it to a publicist, it's like they know what publications to push it for. They know what time of year to push it because of the sonic quality or what other records are slated to release that year. Right. Like what's it going to be competing against for other people's attention, you know? Right. And like, what's the mood of this? Like, when's it going to sell? When are people going to care? And like, they think about world events and you know, your video content and all that stuff. And I just like, don't have the mental energy. I'm just like, here it is, I guess. I don't know, buy it or don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, right. Like here, I like I did my part. <laughs> like I wrote the tunes and you know, made a record. Like I did my part. Um, how, how do you, how did you, you were shopping publicists. What were things you were specifically looking for? And when, when did you know that like, this is going to be a good fit? Um, I look at like artist roster, like current and past people that they've worked with, like what publications those artists have landed in. Uh, I like to do phone calls to get a feel for like the, you know, the owners, the who's going to be working my record. What do they think of it? That's the other thing is I like to send it ahead to sure. see, like to make sure that they think they can do a good job with it. Like I, I read a lot into like past press of artists that are similar and also language um i've gotten really good at spotting red flags oh really what are some of the red flags um you know if you if you send them a record that's like so far like right or left of anything they've ever done before and they're just like yeah this is great give us two grand a month we'll do something with it it's generally not <laughs> right. gonna yeah, work clearly. out like right. um it's just but, a money grab for them yeah but if they come out of the gate and they're like hey i think actually i really respect firms that are like i don't think this is going to work for us like this isn't really what we do it's like great thank you for your honesty like maybe the next project or you know people who are like um i listened i really like x y and z track i can hear this is a single like let's get on the phone make sure you're comfortable and you know that sort of stuff right they're putting in a little extra time the wheels are turning and and they make it personal you know yeah. it's like i heard this i liked it and it's like you listened okay you know right right and i think ultimately like if you know a, a company doesn't you know you know go with an artist or you decide not to go with a company like great <laughs> great uh you know perfect like we're both in this to create a win-win scenario and it's like, yeah, if you're not completely on board, if either half isn't completely on board, then great, don't do it. Like, it's not going to be a win-win at that situation. No, and I, and I had to learn not to take it personally either. Like, I got rejected by a couple PR firms, and then like, the first time I ever tried to, like, reach out and to have something pushed, and I was like, my product's bad, and I was like, just not asking the right people to work with right. me, really. So this is, this is a PR firm you worked with it's it's a new one or the one that was uh, involved with bad luck. The one involved with bad luck. I loved them. They were great. I okay. don't. I mean, I don't know if I'm gonna go with them for the next record because it's a lot more rock forward. Oh, there's uh, one that you're building. Yeah. Okay. But that's okay. not a personal reflection on them. I love them. It's just 
sure. the record's different. Yeah. Have you ever gone about it kind of retroactively? This is, I remember getting some advice from a, a music industry friend at one point. He's like, man, if you're looking for a manager or something, like find someone whose career you'd like to emulate and just call their manager. Yeah, we're, we're doing that with, with press. Oh, that, that's the way, yeah. And, yeah. and he's right. I mean, he was totally right. I'm like, dude, actually, I never thought about it. That's brilliant. You know, in my mind, it's just like, ah, yeah, but that's, you know, I, I'm not, my name wouldn't pull the same amount of attention as some of the people I'd want my career to emulate. Um, but, you know, maybe they got, it's at least, you know, you're, you're at least walking onto that field. Yeah. And you're, and you're putting your name in that hat. And so people know each other that are all like-minded and it's, I think it's a good way to go. And it was good advice. I like that. I mean, nothing, absolutely no harm can come from putting your name in front of the right people. Let me know when the new record's out. I'm looking forward to hearing it. Thank you. Uh, me too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you at right now? How many, do you have the tunes written? Are you still writing? Are you working on pre-production? We are past pre-production. We've got five songs finished except for final vo- final vocals are not done yet on them. So we're almost okay. half we're almost halfway done with uh, with tracking. Oh wow, cool! Yeah, definitely uh, send me a link. Send me a link. I'll, I'll be excited to hear it. And thanks for uh, taking the time to talk. No, thanks for talking to me. All right, <laughs> cool. Thanks. right that was my talk with sylvia rose novak um again really cool really cool that she opened up about so much uh of her personal story and um and where she's at in the world and uh on some really you know kind of maybe personal things um thank you thank you sylvia definitely appreciate that definitely appreciate that um Thank you again for all the new listeners for listening to the episode. Uh, please take a second to give it a rating on uh, you know whatever platform you're checking it out on. And um, yeah, everybody, that's all I got. That's all I got. I will catch you on the next one in a minute.